Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darut people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. And I would like to acknowledge the Wajuk Noongar people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. A new acknowledgement of country, which can only mean one thing. I am in a new place. <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm excited you got to travel. You got to go on a plane to another country and you didn't like freak out and hide under a rock, which is what I would have done. I mean, it was pretty wild. There was a moment where I, when I was getting on the plane where it felt like a dangerous thing to be doing. I was like, oh, this is actually quite, mm. this is a big thing. And I'm just getting on this plane with all these other people. And then there was a very scary arrival and the Australian border people were quite intense and weird. But everything was really quick and easy and bizarrely post-apocalyptic because the airports are empty. So, you know, there was a moment where I was walking through Auckland Airport and I could hear my footsteps echoing through the airport. I'm like, oh, don't like yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, that is a weird thought. I, I don't remember the last time I was in an airport. Well, aside from scary, scary flights, um, did you have a moment of wonder this week? Well, that was going to be my moment of wonder because, you know, I got on a plane and it Yay! was just amazing. And there was this moment where I was looking out of the window and, you know, you're cruising at 40,000 feet, which I don't think you cruise at when you're flying domestically. And it was just the sky was so blue and we were so high up. And I was like, oh. I remember this. I remember doing this because, you know, I grew up incredibly privileged where it came to travel. My dad works in aviation, so I've been traveling since before I could know myself, basically. And I think, honestly think this is the longest I've been in between international flights, which is a wild Mm. thing to say. But yeah, it's been over two years. Oh my gosh, that is a long time for you. Yeah, so it was just this moment where I'm like, oh yeah, this, I remember this, I remember doing this. I like a long flight and I like flying to a new place, so I'm not the kind of person who gets anxious on airplanes. I do Mm. get anxious if I don't know what's going to happen on the other end, like if I'm in custom somewhere that I've never been, I'm like, I want to know what it's like before I go. And it's annoying because it's not the sort of thing you can find on YouTube, like Mm. if I want to hike a new trail, somebody has hiked it and taken their GoPro and I can see what the trail looks like. You just can't take your GoPro <laughs> through customs, so you don't know, like, where to queue up. And yeah, but I really loved being on a plane, too. I'm so jealous, but also I'm glad that you did it. You're so brave. Well done. Oh, thanks. Hopefully I can get home. That's now the the scary bit is where I'm, I'm just going to be <laughs> oh, here forever. Gosh, but. I know. Well, look, I mean, even if you have to stay in Perth and you can't come out here, I will understand and I will be heartbroken. But like, no, I've got too many theater tickets. I have to get to Sydney. But you don't want to get the spicy cough. No, that's true. Um, okay, that's enough about me and flying. How, what was your moment of wonder this week? Oh, um, uh, my daughter has a croaky throat. Like she's. I think it's just allergies. Aww. She has a singing concert on Monday, which is the other thing. Like, So I kept her home and I was like, just stay home and rest your voice. And first she was a little bit like, yeah, probably. And then she was like, but it's sport uniform day. And it's really comfortable, her sport uniform. So she was sad to miss out. And I was like, I know. But like, again, you have a croaky voice. And then mm. about like 10 o'clock, she was just like, I want to go. Can I go? Just can I please? She was so bored. And she had things to do. Like I wasn't making her lay in bed. I was just letting her dink around. She had like her iPad. But she just loved school that much. 
that she was wow (laughs) i know i know and so my moment of wonder is that my kids actually really like school and they don't have the same struggle with school that i did like they definitely struggle in the same ways academically but they're so supported and they have all of the like reassurance that they need and they enjoy all of their learning so much that the good outweighs the bad and i was like i did it they like school this is actually the thing i wanted for my kids was to enjoy their education so i had this like yay pat self on back moment but yeah oh that's so beautiful i was pretty chuffed about that (laughs) good work mum all right well this week we are reading chapters 49 through 55 through the theme of survival um and i was wondering if you have a story for us yeah so i think what i was really thinking of this week in the terms of survival was the difference between living and surviving so as i've mentioned on this podcast before um i went through an incredibly difficult period a couple of years ago where i think i wasn't really living so much as surviving so it was this idea that i could get up in the morning i could go to work i could do all these things and go through the motions but there was no joy to it there was no life it was just this thing that i had to do to get through the day And I find that really fascinating, this idea that what compels you to do that? Because, you know, why keep doing that? Why keep getting up every day? Why keep going through the motions of doing this thing? And the thing that I've always found really fascinating about that time in my life is I don't think my um, quality of work suffered at all. So personally, I was falling to pieces and people would... You know, people who knew me during that time would say that they knew that there was something seriously wrong with me. Like they could see that I was falling apart. But I would still do my job just as well as I always did. And I would still Mm. do everything. I would turn up on time. I would do all these things. I would go through the motions, you know, just doing what I needed to do. And I think that's because I am motivated by, as we've discussed, doing a job well, right? So that is one of my key tenets of my personality. So for me to be considered to be surviving, I need to do that. So that's what I did. And I just find that so interesting in retrospect that I could churn that out even though I was in this incredible like mental pain and like yeah psychic damage if you will if we were playing a board game roll for psychic damage (laughs) oh gosh um and then it gets to the point where I had to make a decision I could keep doing this indefinitely but it's not the way to live your life like it's not the way to be a human being it's not fulfilling and that is ultimately why I decided to make some changes in my life and I would have like I used to say I have to learn how to be a human being again because I forgot I forgot how to human I was just doing these things that I needed to do to survive but I wasn't living and um I was thinking about this because I feel like Sarai and the Godspawn did a lot of that as well they did a lot of surviving and not a lot of living so I wanted Mm. to look for that in this section as we read it Oh, well, I'm glad that you're now living, thriving, slaying. (laughs) Yay. I'm so sorry that you went through that. I've been through something similar and it sucks. Mm. There's nothing worse than that. Like just getting through the day feeling and then the dread of realizing you have to do it all over again the next day. Yeah, it's the worst thing, isn't it? You're going to bed and Mm. you're so proud you have done this thing. You have survived the day and then you realize you have to do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. So, yeah. We survive and then we live. Yes. Again, if anyone is feeling anything from this, please, please, please reach out. We'll put some links in the show notes for you. 
uh, in Australia here, Lifeline is a really good place to start. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, I sometimes get really frustrated during Mental Health Awareness Months or whatever. People will post up these stories and be like, you know, I'm here if you want to talk to me. And I often think that is just empty platitudes because sometimes when you when you are going through a tough time and you talk to someone about it, someone who doesn't necessarily understand, you'll get mm. a lot of, oh, well, you know, it'll get better. This too shall pass. Have but- you tried yoga? Yeah. <laughs> so I find, yeah. Meaning. It's so frustrating. So if you are mm-hmm. struggling and you do want to talk to someone who has been there, you know, you're very welcome to drop us a line. I can I can yeah. have a chat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've lived it and we get it. And, you know, I mean, we're not professionals, but, no. you know, there's it's something about having been in the same, like in the, in the trenches. Mm. You have that fellowship, even though it's like the world's crappiest club. Yeah. And all the experiences are different, but, you know, at least I won't tell you to do some yoga and just think positive thoughts and... You know, we all go, we're, we're all sad sometimes. Okay. Yeah. This is super cheerful, though. Yeah, sorry, my very short, <laughs> depressing story. So let's carry on. Oh, man. But no, I think, like, it's, it's, the theme of survival, it was a hard one because they, everybody in the books has been surviving for so long. And mm. I felt like I would see lots of examples of it in this chapter, but I really... It all builds on what we've already studied, I thought. Yeah, a very similar observation. I'll take us through the chapter summaries. It was actually quite short reading, but a lot happened. Mm. Um, so Thion, faced with improbable results, decides to try his experiment again with another control. He is spotted by Drave, who intent- whose intentions are not good. Laszlo, in Weep, is forced to reconcile the casual racism of his Tizercane friends and his growing feelings for Sarai. Sarai, meanwhile, is having the same fight in the opposite direction with Minya, who believes everyone in Weep wants the Godspawn dead. Laszlo and Sarai meet again in dreams and get to know each other even better. So cute. After the last couple of weeks, it's just been a bit <laughs> rough, and I was like, I just love reading about two people falling in love. It's my jam. Oh, you were just like Sarai. You needed the dreamer in his beautiful dreams. Didn't I ever? And I think this is why I keep coming back to this book, because it isn't a kind of love I can fall in. Like, I mm. like I am the, the exception to the friend ladder theory, because <laughs> I've never fallen in love with someone that I wasn't already really good friends with. Because, like, if I can't see myself being good friends with them and being excited about that, like, normal friend things, then I don't want a romantic relationship. The hotness or whatever, that's completely separate. But if I meet someone and we're good friends... Then I start to develop romantic feelings. Suddenly they're a billion times hotter because I'm like, mm. oh my gosh, I love their brain and I like like their brain. Like it's <laughs> so for me, falling in love just by seeing someone and then starting to get to know. Like I was like, these are two people who are just ready to fall in love. But I love it. It's so different mm. to what I can experience. So I'm like here for I'm like, got my bowl of popcorn. <laughs> just <laughs> turning pages as Watching fast as I happen. can. Mm. Exactly, exactly. Um, But... Aww. Thion was in this, and boy, I was like, it was a gen-heavy chapter. Yay! You know, I just, this, I feel kind of terrible, but I just love Thion so much. I don't remember don't this from the first terrible. time I read this book, but I just adore him. I just love characters like that. I love characters who are so conflicted. Like, he has so much going on, because the reason that he's mean to Laszlo is because he can't understand that someone would want to be that nice, because he's never experienced that before, and mm, it just makes my heart hurt, and I just want to give him a big old hug. He wouldn't he like that. Yeah. yeah. He would be like, get away from me as I'm like hugging him. No, I, I knew you would love him. As as I was reading it, I'm like, oh, that's a Jen thing. Oh, that's a Jen thing. Oh, she's going to like that too. I think he's, because he has that powerful combination of does a job well and takes pride in mm-hmm. it and also is very ambitious, um, but really 
private. I think that that's kind of like a, there's a lot going on, but it's all locked down. Speaking of Thion, though, you know, I think I saw survival very strongly in his bit as well, because he's kind of toying with his own survival, like his physical survival, because he continues to draw spirit, even though he knows he shouldn't be doing it. And yeah, yeah, he's just kind of like playing with fire. And I love the descriptions that we got of that, because on page 416, it says he drew another long, ill-advised syringe full of spirit from his overtaxed veins, because it couldn't be helped. Because he's just going to do it. He's like, I need it. I need to complete my experiment. So I'm just going to do it, even though he knows it's bad for him. And then I loved on page 451 where, you know, it's described as his pulse being reedy, like all reedy pulsed and ravaged spirit, wondering what it all meant. I just, mm, the physicality of that survival really comes to the fore with him. Yeah. And there's something about how he doesn't connect. It's not just his beauty that suffers, but I feel like when you're tired or when you're sick, like I have lower cognitive function when Mm. I'm tired or sick. And I don't think he's really understanding that this is happening because he keeps talking about how like the veil of reverie, like he's so, everything feels a bit more mystical. Mm. Um, And I was thinking like he's really skating quite close to the edge if he can't see this exhaustion for what it is. If he doesn't understand that he's pushing his body to a limit it can't come back from. Um, because if he's starting to see things as like less than scientific, then he's very unwell. Mm. But I also, I love that he's having this massive crisis of faith. Like for him, this is a big thing because he, for him, science is a religion, right? So Mm. I would argue he needs to have this faith in science in order for his survival, for him to be a living, breathing member of society. He needs to believe this thing that has, you know, been part of his life. So that foundation has been shaken essentially. And then, yeah, like... I love that section. I think it's page 450, that whole bit there, where he says, you know, what was the world? What was the cosmos? Like, he's having this full-on yeah. existential crisis. I love that, too, because it. I think he's sort of the first person who really figures it out. Mm. It being that the Mazartham are not of the world that the rest of the citizens of Weep and mm. all the people in Zosma are from. I found it really interesting that here, in the face of this, as you call it, crisis of faith, is where Thion actually admits to himself, like, the reason he left Zosma was mm. not for the legends to be told about him because he needed to escape his stifling life. Yeah. And I really love that. I love that he said, it was on page 450, but, like, he, he couldn't even admit it to Laszlo, the person around who he's been the most vulnerable. Mm. But he thinks of Laszlo every time he admits it to himself. And I'm like, haha, that's what you get, because Laszlo is the person who gets in under, he gets he gets under everyone's skin, I think. Yeah. I love the way his brain works, because on page 50, he also says, you know, it might have been a fluke. It wasn't. He knew that much. He didn't understand it, and he didn't believe it, but he knew it. Mm. I love mm-hmm. that he can hold these two things in his head at the same time that he can be like I don't understand I don't believe it but it is fundamentally true in a way he shares that with Laszlo there's like a big Mm. commonality that came out between the two of them in this section which I just loved like him reading the fairy tales as well to go to sleep he got that from Laszlo (laughs) I love that so much and I I kind of want to float a theory Mm. I wonder if Thion does not have some unresolved attraction for the librarian Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Who wouldn't? uh, Well, yeah, right? Like, he's so helpful and lovely and... I mean, he's tall. We know he's tall. Love a tall guy. I definitely feel like he has some unexplained rage at Laszlo because he might be attracted to him. I think that's a fair read. I think there's enough textually there to support that. Because there's a little bit of obsession there. A little bit, like, the niggling, the the annoyance that he has with Laszlo kind of outweighs justification that is just... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, lots of people were annoying to him, but Laszlo's the one that's the most annoying. 
Mm. But he's also come through for him the most. Mm. It'd be so much less complicating if he would just cease to exist, quote unquote. Oh, gosh, yeah. I just loved it. I love him. I loved it, too. And I love that we got a little bit more insight into what's going on. And I love that finally someone has managed to actually make a dent in the Mizarthium. Because that's what they came to do. So that yeah. like that goal has been fulfilled. Um, and it's really important that Drave sees this for what happens next week, which I'm super dreading. Yeah, I remember same. the end of this book and I was like, what have I done to all of us? <laughs> and it just speeds upon us so quickly because we've had this like mm-hmm. lovely meandering, I'm picking the mysteries of weep kind of reading. Like it's a big book. We've read a lot. And now suddenly it's just all gonna just go horribly wrong in two sections. <laughs> I know. And then we're, you and I are gonna speed read the sequel. Yeah, no, it'll be good. I'm gonna need something to read. So <laughs> perfect timing. <laughs> Okay, um, I want to posit a question to you. Okay. Um, Minya, do we think she is uh, basically a doomsday prepper? I kind of love that. Um, let me think about it. Yeah, I yeah, I think she is. She's like gleeful for the apocalypse. Mm. And my husband really loves bushcraft and ends up watching a lot of bushcraft videos. And those guys, the Venn diagram of bushcraft guys in the US and preppers is like almost a circle. <laughs> but there is definitely this like gleeful concept in a lot of these hardcore doomsday prepper people that like you're going to be the one to win mm-hmm. and have your own personal little, I don't know, isolated bunker or whatever. But like mm-hmm. what next? Yeah, this is exactly the thing between survival and living right and it's something that i mm. think about a lot when i read like post-apocalyptic fiction or we talk about it at work because i'm a ray of sunshine so i bring it up but things like when you read the road by cormac mccarthy right it takes place in this desolated landscape and this guy is just wandering trying to survive and it's like to what point and purpose what is the point of surviving yeah. in that landscape why are we so compelled to survive and there's actually a really good quote about this idea of living and surviving because sarai specifically says that you know there might be a chance a chance for us to live not exist because she wants that too yeah she does i have a question to posit to you about whether or not their coping mechanisms are a way of ensuring their survival because i was thinking about this in terms of like my own depression and what Mm. i sort of had to do to get on with living and at the time you know i had two small children under the age of four but i like would cope by getting out of the house every single day and getting coffee and taking both the kids with me. So like we would pack up the car and go out and drive five minutes away and either carry one or walk them both in my hands and then get a coffee and carry one in one arm. And then the co- like I would have to do this balancing act, but it was like I did it every day Mm. because if I missed it then it was like I couldn't function as a person yeah yeah so I thought about a lot of the coping mechanisms that the characters in the story have taken refuge in so Minya like she clings to her vengeance I think in Mm -hmm. order to survive yeah there's a great quote where Sarai's observing it's on page 437 Minya's mind like her body was immutable Mm. whatever accounted for the unnatural stasis that had kept her a child for 15 years it was beyond the reach of reason or persuasion she would have her carnage and her vengeance and drag everyone into it with her and so I think that really lines up with the idea of her as a doomsday prepper because she's really fixed on this one goal which is eradication in kind of the people who tried to eradicate her using whatever means she has necessary and she's Mm. putting all of her energy into it this is a super unhealthy coping mechanism but I think it is how she is surviving I think if she could she'd take the fight to the people right she would have done it years ago oh yeah yeah absolutely the people of weep saving grace that she stuck up there Mm. because she would have been like scapist too 100% and 
And it's interesting because Sarai has this thing where she remarks that no one came to see her and she's really kind of put out by that. And I wrote in the margins that, you know, that was just their way of surviving. They each had to do mm. what they had to do to get through. So Ruby and Feral are just in this situation. Like they've sought each other out as a way to distract themselves. And then Sparrow yeah. would have done the same, but she just came to that conclusion later than Ruby did, right? So, yeah. yeah. And I think there's a lot of compartmentalizing that happens in order to survive. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this in terms of Laszlo's conversation with the Tizer Kane as well, mm. because he's so devastated when he realizes that they're being super casually racist about someone mm. that he's falling in love with making jokes about blowing up the god spawn and he's like but they're people and like you know that i'm not okay with that no matter who they are yeah they're people um and he's not even revealing the like the depth of his emotion he's not even bringing that into it he's just horrified for horror's sake really that's how they think of their own survival right because this is the mm. thing that they're tormentors if you will so for them to survive they have to hate and they have to have this fear and that is crucial to their survival and i think yeah, that's exactly. really obvious when ruza says you know you don't meet monsters you slay them yeah, and there's something really interesting about Laszlo having survived his whole life with this diet of fairy tales that has given him this immense hope and joyfulness and optimism and just kind of that shock he gets when he sees that people are not the same as him. Mm. <laughs> like they're not fundamentally as forgiving and as accepting and as embracing as he is. Yeah, it's I a mean, bit naive in that. <laughs> Yeah, as soon as he experiences it, he folds it into his understanding of people, but he just hasn't ever experienced it. Mm, true. You know, he's, he's able to fold his experiences into a wider understanding, but he still starts from a place of real good mm. and it just expects everyone else to meet him there, um, which is something I do, actually. <laughs> just assume everyone's going to be the same like level of cheerful and helpful as me and it's always really frustrating when they're not but we're supposed to help each other well that's so nice it's so nice to start with that kind of positivity and to assume the best in people like, i'm very much not like that i always assume everyone is the worst possible intentions so i think that we should okay. all assume the best in people and when you assume people will act a certain way they'll rise to meet you so if you assume people are going to be you know nice and kind then often they will be they will meet your expectations. Mm. But if you just assume people are going to be horrible, then you don't give them anything to aspire to. Yeah, and I often, if someone has low expectations of me and I parse it, I immediately am like, well, then why do I want to try for you? Mm. Something about the way my brain works just goes, nah, not worth it. Mm. Um, I had a lot of questions, actually, just to like ideas to float past mm. you. So I was thinking when you're in survival mode, it seems like there's actually no room for hope. You know, hope. You don't allow yourself room to hope because you have to just get through the day and you just have to do the thing. But it feels also like hope is kind of necessary for survival because if you don't believe yeah. that there is something better, why do you keep surviving? And I wonder if this is Minya's problem. There is no end goal. There is no hope. There is no end, right? Mm. And Sarai goes through this journey in this section where on page 419 she says, but it was hard to hold on to that feeling as reality reasserted itself. But then on page 444, it was that hope was easy after all, here in this place anyway. So it's this idea that when she's not in the dream space, she can't hold on to that feeling. But when she's in the dream with yeah. Laszlo, everything is possible. And I love that kind of yeah. dichotomy of that feeling. The thing that that brought up for me was the difference between when you have depression and you have the means to look after yourself, like the support system, the money to go and see someone, the money to pay for medication that can help. And when you don't. So when Sarai is alone in her room, terrorized by nightmares, sleep deprived, she doesn't have any respite from it and she has no way through it. But when you're comfortable, you're warm, you know that you're loved, you're tended to, you can actually like push through, figure out the way. Yeah. And like, I think there's something 
about the articulation of hope too, right? Because the way that Sarai has survived all this time was hoping that no one ever looked up. Mm, And that was kind of like enough that she could survive on. But now she knows that there is more out there and it could be better. And she has that hope, which is like the worst and best kind because you think, okay, my life could really change for the better. It could actually be good. Mm. But you're just holding your breath because you don't want to, you don't want to lose that opportunity. Yeah, it's this idea that you can, you can exist. But as soon as you know, you exist within the world that you're familiar with. And then when you learn that there's another world, then that really challenges you. I really thought about that in this idea that you survive based on what you know. You know, you you will struggle to survive if you knew there was a different way of doing things. And for some reason, I really thought of um, Tara Westover's educated in that. Like she lives in this life and she's very happy in this life. Well, as happy as she could be. And then she finds out, actually, this is not how the world works. This is not how life should be. And that's when she starts to question everything. I think the thing I really remember about that book was that she had roommates who sort of walked her through how to human as Mm. an adult in ways that most of us would have learned as kids. And there were definitely some of the experience she related that I was like, oh gosh, yeah, I came to that really late too. Like Mm. embarrassingly late for things that are normally taught to children at a young age. Mm. You don't learn them if you're not taught them. And I think that there's a lot of that. The Mazartham children don't really know how to be people. And I want to say right now that we know that Minya has always controlled the ghosts. Hmm. And all of the love that Minya has for her siblings, it comes through the Ellens, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not the Ellens, it's Minya. So when she's really withholding her love and affection, she just lets them survive, but without any of that love. Mm. Minya's job is to ensure the survival of all the Mazartham, but she doesn't always have the ability to love them. Yeah. And the more that she's holding on to all these ghosts, the less room she has to like put out that love. So I think there's definitely something to like tease out there about what becomes necessary for survival and what we use to move on in a hopeful way, I guess. Yeah. And we did see that, you know, Sarai remarks that, oh, you know, Minya's never previously controlled the Ellens like this, but I think she always has. It's just, she's always infused the Ellens with their personality. It's just, they never Mm -hmm. clocked it before and then there is this very different idea of Minya is still seeing to Sarai's basic needs for survival like she brings in plums you know so this food this water it's the basics of what you need to be alive but there is other things that you need to survive so I was thinking about this kind of desperate need of falling in love and how that can feel as vital as those physical needs that you have to survive that's the part in this section where we actually see survive written like on page 443 it says how had they survived a whole day on the merest touch that was last night's kiss if they had known what a kiss was they couldn't have and i just thought that was so telling that that is the section where we see survival like yeah. called out yeah i love that laszlo was so mad at the sky and the sun <laughs> i think that sarai wanted to survive and as a child I'd, I'd love to explore the difference between helping minia to terrorize the citizens of weep and then now the way she's intent on surviving is with her justice her sense of justice and empathy and i think it actually is helping her to like push through that shame that she has she talks mm. a lot about the shame she feels yeah and i think that really held her back from a lot that shame um and sometimes when we're trying to survive we might feel a lot of shame for not thriving but we shouldn't yeah, I think that is a very good call because often you hold yourself back in those moments. You you know, you don't want to be mm. honest about what you're feeling. You you think you should be at a better place than you are. You shouldn't. I certainly feel this when I'm in moments where I've been depressed where it's like, well, my life is amazing. So why do I feel like this? I have no right to feel like this, right? So you put yourself through this. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, there's this section where she says, I'm done with shame. 
And it's when she denounces all these things that she really discovers her power. And I think Minya is actually yeah. shocked by that as well. Like she cowers on the floor when Sarai yells her moths at her. Which I loved. Go Sarai. You tell her. You tell that six-year-old tyrant that she can't be the boss of you forever. She might have ghosts and she might have such a... Ter- like she's like the ultimate gaslighter in that she's got them all in a thrall. Hmm. Like they're all terrified of her temper and her nastiness. Mm. Because she knows all of their vulnerabilities and can hurt them. It's not a great way to be in a family. No. (laughs) Honestly. But Sarai still loves her and tries and tries to reason with her. And that's more about hope than survival, I think. I mean, she is making the case for all of them to try and coexist in a way that means that they'll survive. But she's also doing it because she wants Minnie to feel something else. Yeah. Something better. Something more. If we think about our broader theme for the novel, like, knowledge, Mm. Sarai also gets a lot of power. Like, this empowerment that she goes through, this this ability to stand up to Minya also comes from the knowledge that someone could see value in her. That, you know, Laszlo doesn't think she's an abomination. And that gives her the power to counteract the story that Minya has been telling her her whole life. That, you know, people will kill you on sight. And that allows her to challenge Minya and um, so we can have talk about this absolutely amazing line on page 436 where Sarai mm-hmm. says, I know a human could stand the side of me, Minya, because there is one who can see me and he stands the side of me quite well. Yeah, girl. I love that line. It's so good. I love this. I love this so much for her because she's finally feeling like like someone more than just a disappointed child born of terrible circumstances. You know what I mean? Like mm. all of their lives, they've known that they're the unwanted product of unions that were not consensual like Mm. that's me putting it super delicately but like to grow up knowing that and to know that you're hated for that to be told repeatedly that you're hated and reviled by the person that you look up to who saved your life like that is so hard to get Mm. through so for her you're right this is absolutely her claiming her power and her saying like no I am beautiful and desirable and there are humans who don't find me disgusting you don't know because you're not down there all you can see is what you want to see yeah and another moment of knowledge that i just love is that sarai and laszlo know as much about romance as each other and they're really discovering it together and it's so lovely they're just going at the same pace and it's just delightful i love it too i love that they're like kissing is so good and I think that there's something really good like I've always said that this is like a sexy book for people who don't really want to read sex scenes because it's very tender and so lovely but it's also like I'll be in my bunk territory but it is really wholesome as well yeah it is wholesome I love this line where Laszlo says page 444 but right now he'd given it all up for this small mystery this tiny newest and best mystery of wheat this kiss it's kind of innocent and beautiful and just pure it's pure yes that's what it is it doesn't feel grubby and i think that this is what it's like when you're a teenager and you're kind of figuring things out with someone for the first time and it's like all very exciting and you're all very like what's happening all these feelings it's a great experience when you're with someone who's just like attentive and really lovely and laszlo is like mvp here he's just a sweetie Hmm. and then we can contrast that with feral and ruby Yeah, and theirs is all about power. But in kind, like, I think Farrell's, I I think Farrell's a nice boy, but it's not the same, is it? No. I do, I do have to say, I love that he's considerate. I think that that's really important. And knowing that all of the men we get in this story who are considerate is like they're, they're pointed out as being the good men. They are expected to be the good men. Hmm. 
Yeah. That's a nice thing. The the one who's considered to be awful and the women are bruised in his dreams. No one wants to go near him. Nobody likes him. Oh, yeah. And a great yeah. section with him in this this bit as well where Laszlo and Ruzo yeah. are just winding him up, talking about <laughs> mushrooms. And there's that line where it's like, Drave, who was, you know, very annoyed to find mushrooms on his plate at dinner because this whole thing had happened previously. Oh, my gosh. I love that, too, because that is such a, like, little brother thing to do, isn't it? This is just winding someone up. It kind of reminds me of something else that I wanted to talk about, and I don't know the answer to this, but what is the link between kind of survival and competition, right? Because if you think about survival of the fittest, that is essentially just who wins the competition. Yeah. And I was just thinking about this competition to solve Weep's problem and how that links to survival, because arguably Weep needs someone to win for them Mm. to continue to survive as a city. But then Drave and his explosions like explosions are not something that's conducive to surviving as a concept so yeah and i think glaslow recognizes that as well because he says you know a bored explosionist was one thing a bored disgruntled explosionist was another yeah yeah that's a good question and they're all competitive we've been kind of talking about like i win no you lose you know like that happens a little bit now that my kids are kind of old enough to play two-player mario kart and stuff (laughs) my big thing is like Have you seen The Kingsman? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was a great movie until the last five seconds. Oh, absolutely. Right? Okay. Oh my gosh. It's the worst. But the thing that I really love about the movie is what Colin Firth says, which is the only person you can compare yourself to is you. Mm. You just have to improve on your own iterations of self. And so I tell that to the kids, like, if one of them gets sixth and one of them gets third, I'm like, oh, good. Nobody won. But like, who cares? That's not important. Did you do better than last time? Did you have fun? Did you learn Mm. anything while you were playing this rainbow road? No? Okay, (laughs) try it again. Like, the competition is with yourself and it's about improving yourself. And I think that's where really, like, a lot of the people are trying to help. Like, I feel like um, Solzarin and Oz, is it Oswin? They're yep. trying to help for the sake of helping. Calixti's there because she wants to help. Um, you know, most of them are there. Yes, they were lured in by the idea of prize money. And some of them do want, like, are, are ambitious in the way of wanting to win the prize by solving the problem. But now that they're there, they're trying to solve the problem because the problem is immense and interesting. Yeah. The idea of, like, the competition as an allegory for survival, I don't know. I don't know that they're analogous. I think that, yeah, Weep's survival does depend on the solving of this problem but we know that it's solved very unexpectedly Hmm. and might not have been solved at all yeah it's just an interesting thing to consider like do you need competition in order to survive i don't do you think I don't know. I think about, for some reason, I'm thinking of Avatar The Last Airbender. Well, specifically mm. in The Legend of Korra, when you kind of find out about how, you know, the Avatar came into being and you you find out the different, how the different tribes existed before. And so there's this whole bit with the airbenders and how they were like, just really chill because they're essentially Buddhist monks, right? So they just really yeah. calm, exist in this really communal relationship, all these things. So in those situations, there wouldn't be competition, really. It's all harmonious and mm. you could have a very peaceful, wonderful existence without that and I wonder if this idea of competition as a necessary thing for survival is not a capitalist idea because we're Mm. always striving for more you always have to have the next best thing the next best phone the next best job you can't just be happy you have to always be chasing so yeah yeah, maybe competition is a is a a concept that yeah we've developed to make people do things I wonder about that because I definitely like getting better at stuff but 
I hate when I feel like I'm failing at that. So like I've lost the competition with myself. Mm, yeah. Because <laughs> I was going to say what's necessary for survival is really community, right? Mm. Going back to our doomsday preppers, like all these guys who have like tons of ammunition and guns and like three years worth of MREs. Like, okay, cool. But what are you going to do when your clothes wear out? Like, have you learned to weave? Do you know animal husbandry well enough to like raise sheep or goats and like mm. use the fibers to make cloth? Like, do you actually know how to knit? Do you know how to dress in tan leather? Do you know how to raise chicken? Like, I just, all of the stuff that's like, quote, women's work that people don't learn, but they think that they're prepared for an apocalypse. It's like, well, you might have 12 months in a bunker, mate. It's going to be the little old ladies in like quilting guilds who are like, oh, let's go find Janice. You know, she does tatting. That's basically like knitting. I bet she could show us how to do it. Elizabeth down the road, she's got a spinning wheel. These are the people you're going to find. They are not like the dudes with the guns, right? So I think it's community. Mm, yeah, I think that's fair. You see that, I don't know if you've ever watched Doomsday Preppers, but you know, they write their Doomsday prepared this. And often these people be like, well, I've got this bunker and I've got all this food and blah, blah, blah. And this guy would be like, yeah, okay, but that's only two months worth of water. So what are you going to do then? So that's only a, a three out of 10. And inevitably, inevitably the people are always like, oh, I don't buy that. I think I'm prepared. Or it's things like, okay, but you only have a week's worth of insulin. So what are you going to do? <laughs> because yeah. yeah, how do you make more? Like, mm. like how are you going to get the things you need to survive so it's almost less about you know the stockpiling and more about the relationships that you forge because then that is how you survive you have skills they have skills together you can survive like hoarding material won't get you there the competition yep. won't get you there and it's all about the bartering of goods and services with the people who are the experts in the craft mm. i think yeah which is where science quest for survival sort of falls down right because he doesn't allow himself to have a community he kind of allows people to wait on him but he doesn't you know he allows drave to sort of be his lackey when they're he on tolerates there. it i don't yeah. think he likes it but it's almost yeah i wonder if he doesn't expect it as well because that's how he was raised right he's like oh there's always going to be a hanger on yeah i'm thinking about that sometimes people just don't realize the advantages they have they don't realize that the expectations they have are not what everybody else would expect yeah and thion's definitely guilty of that well, I think like his his whole idea to come to weep, and even though he did it really terribly by stealing Laszlo's notes and you know, kind of fabricating this interest, but that is his quest mm. for survival, right? He was so desperate to get out of this life that he was in. For him, in order to continue surviving, he needed to get out of there. Yeah. Now I'm thinking of Mad Max Fury Road, all the people who are so desperate to get up into the Citadel there just to have access to food and water. Yeah, water. Like, it does speak to like the idea that we have so much desire to survive. We have this drive to survive, whether we want to or not sometimes. Yeah, I think that's the thing, right? That survival is this weird thing that our biology just compels us to do. We continue to survive. Mm. I have this conversation with people at work a lot, which I know sounds weird, but I'll be like, let's say climate change happens next week and suddenly we live in this barren landscape. What do we do? Do we, how will we survive? What would you do to survive? Mm. And so many of the people that I know, so many of my friends will say, oh, I wouldn't even bother fighting. Like if there's a zombie apocalypse, whatever, I'll just lie down and die. Because what is the point? Like, I don't see the point. And I don't actually believe that. I think you might think it intellectually. You might think, mm -hmm. oh, I'm not going to fight back. I don't see the point. But when push comes to shove, I think people will just actually do anything they can to survive because that is our biology. Yeah. Look, you don't see people who are like, oh, I'm just going to lay here and let this intruder stab me to death. Yeah. Anything. Like the reason that defensive wounds exist is because we put our arms up and we shield ourselves and we try to live. When we are attacked, we fight and run away or we freeze and try to make ourselves small and unseen. And like we do these things because our, yeah, you're right. Our biology, our bodies, whatever, it doesn't allow us to not 
fight back. It's the most primal instinct that we have to continue mm. surviving, right? It's this thing that just we'll just keep trying. It has nothing to do with our consciousness. Like, that's a separate thing. I don't know how we got onto this topic, but it's fine. <laughs> Survival. <laughs> really, I'm actually kind of enjoying this. It's a very interesting turn because I think it was quite a short section of reading, so... Mm. The real champion at survival, though, is Mizarthium. It cannot be cut. It cannot be marked. It's like a champ. Yeah. Where is the stuff? I I want to make my garden furniture out of it so that I can. I don't have to paint it anymore. It'll just be this kind of bluey, greeny color. Perfect. It sounds beautiful. It really does. The way it's described always reminds me of those like sci-fi covers of the seventies, like the paperback sci-fi covers. They'd have like the spaceship, and it would be that like glowy blue metal. Yeah, that's Mizarthium. That's what mm, it is. Yeah, good point. And that is appropriate as well because they are aliens. So they're super aliens. But they're close enough to human that they can have kids with them, which is kind of like... Yeah, so the biology lines up. Um, If you ever get around to reading her other series, it like it's in a different world and in our world, but lines up in a similar way. That when you read Muse of Nightmares, it will all come clear that it links into her other series, which is quite good. And also has similar love. Not insta-love, but compelling, hmm. desperate, intense feeling love. Okay, I'll look into it. Maybe for the flight back. Oh yeah, I'll need something. Um, not related to knowledge or survival, but I want to know why Drave thinks Laszlo is a mealy mouth poltroon. Because <laughs> I, that is not the vibe that Laszlo gives off. So I'm intrigued to try and figure out how Drave got to that. Or does he just think that of everyone? I think it might be something about, like, his own version of what masculinity should be. Hmm, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's, he seems very much like toxic masculinity 101. And I don't think if he knew that Thion was gay, he would hang out with him so much, right? Like, he really wants the secret of gold and will put up with almost anything because he wants to be wealthy and be able to do whatever he wants. Yeah, I just really got stuck on, like, mealy mouth because mealy mouth suggests that, you know, you're not me, you're me, not me, a straight me. talker, right? Like, you don't speak yeah. frankly or anything like that. And I don't think Laszlo has ever been like that. He's very much straight up. He says things that but people don't want to hear. Oh, I mean, he is dreamy, yeah. but maybe oh, maybe it's just because Drave lacks the imagination to follow what Laszlo's putting down. Yeah, I think it's like talking in circles. One of the things that I often joke about, and you've probably seen my billions of memes on this, the whole ADHD is being galaxy brain mm-hmm. thing, Yeah, where I can have a conversation with someone else who has ADHD and we get, it's just boop, 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 we're all over the shop, but we're both keeping up because like, and I can find the threads of like three different conversations and that's just how my brain works and it's great. But if I try talking to a neurotypical person, they're just like, wow, you jump around a lot. <laughs> um, and I think that is similar to Laszlo. Like Laszlo and Ruza are close enough friends that they can kind of like play off one another in that way. They have that familiarity mm. and they know how each other's brain works. Um, and Drave is just not part of that. So he probably looks at them and thinks like they're just talking nonsense. So maybe that's part of it. And the poltroon thing, I think it's just because he isn't aggressive in his masculinity like he's not Hmm. he's not a coward I think that's inaccurate but he's also like not really done anything that needs to be considered brave like he doesn't have anything to recommend him I struggle with it because I feel like if Drive had said this about Laszlo the librarian like if he had met him in the library I would have been like oh I can see how you get there but because Hmm. Drive meets him after he's had his little glow up as you know Mm -hmm. a member of this party I just think Drive's not very perceptive No, he's not. He's good at blowing things up, but he's not good at, like, just existing in a world. Hmm. Did you have any other points on knowledge? 
I don't think I had any knowledge. I, I do think that, like, I wanted to talk about some of the things I thought that survived, which were mm-hmm. interesting. Um, It's important to note that the souls of the people have survived, even though they're caught by Minya. I think that, that like, that's kind of a perfect example of surviving but not living. Mm, yeah, good call. They're literally ghosts that are trapped. Mm. Yeah, I also think that we're going to find this a very interesting parallel later, but, like, Laszlo survives as an orphan, despite being gray and having no parents. He actually survives and thrives, and is so hopeful um despite all of these things like he's found a way to make life work for him Mm. i think also the citadel itself has survived the slaying of the gods within them Mm. like it's outlasted them lots of buildings outlast their builders but i live in a house that's that was built in 1951 and lots of bits of it are falling apart mazarthium it just doesn't yeah it doesn't wither yeah so it's the ultimate survivor Mm. and also sarai figuring out a way to survive her day in lockdown (laughs) yeah she's like i'm really hungry i'm really thirsty no one will talk to me it's nothing but ghosts and they won't let me pass so she just decides to go to sleep Mm. epic survival mode really i mean she survives that as well because she was so afraid of sleeping and off dreams but because she's had this experience with Laszlo where she knows she can actually still control her nightmares that is a survival moment for her as well she's like yes I've slept I've turned my nightmares into fireflies caught them in a jar I love that I love that he gave her the tools she needed to survive because he's the best Mm -hmm. I think that was it for me did you have anything else you wanted to add no that's basically all I had to say on the survival topic so did you have an in-depth marginalia for us this week so mine is on page 428 and it's when space Sparrow is kind of wandering around. She's feeling very sad. She wants her family. She misses her family. She wants to see Sarai, but she can't. She can't find Minya to appeal to Minya to let her see Sarai. She goes outside and she's like, okay, I'll do what I usually do. And it says, even the garden couldn't soothe her today. Her magic felt feeble as though some river within herself were dry. Um, And I think that she's just trying to survive the day and it's really hard for her to get through it. And she's noticing that it's having a, like a flow on effect in her like the things that she can normally do are really difficult which is as we've spoken about like really a sign of depression or anxiety where even the simplest normal human things just feel completely outside of your ability it's mm. when the self-soothing stops working you know yeah but she knows what's wrong which i think is really important like she knows she needs company and she knows she needs comfort so she goes to seek it out first in the garden which always makes her happy but she can't make herself do it and i thought what it really reminds me of is a saying that i use a lot which is one cannot serve from an empty vessel mm. so basically if you give and give and give and you don't fill yourself back up you're just going to be empty and not have anything to offer. And I'm the kind of person who really loves to have a lot to offer. Like I am the jug that's always pouring. Um, so it's a good reminder for me to make sure that I'm meeting the needs in myself. And, and Sparrow is very, I think she's very clever to go and try and find someone to help her get through this moment. There's no shame in that. She knows she can't serve from an empty vessel. So she goes to find some someone to help and goes to look for the right thing so i just need to remember like i also need to replenish Hmm. my vessel and that way you can keep pouring i can keep pouring that's right because that's what i like to do i am a jug that is my entire job and i enjoy being a jug i am made to be a jug but jugs need to be refilled yeah so refill yourself because you are worth it i know and i shouldn't use any feeble excuses not to go and do the things yeah you're definitely you're amazing so i agree how about you do you have any in-depth marginalia yeah so i chose a section from when paul laszlo is having this conversation about sarai and they talk about blue stew and he is 
just so horrified that they would, even though they don't know that he's like met Sarai, but he would be horrified anyway, regardless, um, I think, if they were talking about anyone, even if he hadn't met Sarai, like the idea of them talking about living people like that would just horrify Laszlo because he is yeah. a good good man. Um, and on page 425 he says, if you knew anything about me, he replied, you wouldn't think I'll be happy to kill anyone. So I thought this related to our theme of survival because sometimes, you know, people might think killing is necessary. So the Tizakane just certainly think that in order for them to survive and thrive as a community, they do need to, to kill. And I think if we think about it, Laszlo was very quick to defend Azarine on the Silk Sleigh. Like, he picked up something to try and help her and defeat her. So yeah. context is everything and also knowledge, right? So understanding others and understanding ourselves. In the heat of the moment, Laszlo didn't think he just defended the person that he knew. But now, if it was Sarai, for example, he would not have that reaction. Yeah. And it reminded me of Frodo and Lord of the Rings. Because he has this exchange with Gandalf and the Fellowship of the Ring. It's both in the novel and in the film, but I'm going to quote the movie version of the conversation. I think it actually is in the extended edition. I'm not 100% sure because I only watched the extended edition, so I don't know if it's in the the normal one. But anyway, it takes place in the mines of Moria, and it's when Frodo becomes aware that Gollum is following them, and he says, it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. And Gandalf says, pity, it was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death, some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be so eager to deal out death and judgment even the very wise cannot see all ends my heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play in it for good or evil before this is done the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many then later you know we're confronted with Gollum Frodo does say that he also feels pity and they again Sam wants to kill Gollum and he's like no 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 and then at the end it is Gollum that destroys the ring so it's the pity Mm. of Bilbo and the Frodo internalizing that lesson of pity that allows them to ultimately triumph over greater evil and I think it shouldn't be an easy thing to take a life or to decide who is worthy of living or dying and then when you add survival to it your own personal survival that becomes so complicated so what Mm. I think it calls me to do going forward is not to assume I know everything about a situation or that I have all the answers but to realize that there is nuance and there is more to it and people are capable of you know various multitudes of feelings and you need to just don't be so quick to jump to conclusions basically good people can hate yeah as we very astutely learn in this i think this is one of those really important parts of the story where we really realize how like it's not sarai overreacting it's it's not laszlo underreacting it's just the collision of all of the circumstances that have put these people where they are and yeah you see that as well with shuela's reaction right like she asked laszlo does she hate us very much because even though they're horrified that they went through this terrible traumatic thing but she still doesn't want sarai to hate like she still wants something Mm. there's still a need for connection and for love there even despite all the complications we don't have all the answers just can't understand everything that's going on no there's some (laughs) perspectives that i'll never have access to and boy i'm mad about it Mm. i just wish i had the handbook for everything all of the time forever alas i am but one person and i only have this one life and we can only do the best that we can so let's Try to be good people. That's right. Do no harm. Do you have a characters to spotlight this week? I am going to spotlight my boy Thion. 
<laughs> who is yeah. having his faith tested, which is never an easy thing. And I think also for the line, mm. there was a legend taking shape, but it wasn't his. I don't think he's even mad about it. He just wants it to make sense. Like, he's not mad that this is not going to be his legend. He just needs to understand. He just needs the knowledge. He needs everything to line up. I think that's just yeah. That's just who he is. And I actually love that for him. Is he um, actually neurodivergent? Just putting it out there. He's very precise. He is very precise. Hmm. I want to know, did he color code everything as a child? Please tell me. Somebody. Anyway. I'm pretty sure he would have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just like, I think, you know, he's having his faith tested in science, even though he's still like sticking to his guns and he's sticking to the process. But he's going through a, a time of upheaval in this and he's gonna it's going to come to a head a bit in the next section when he confronts Laszlo about it. And I think if you're feeling adrift because the thing you've been tied to has suddenly turned out to be not what you thought it was, I'm just thinking of you. It's hard. And I hope you can find yeah. the positive aspects within yourself so you can keep building and that thing comes back to you or not. But you just, you don't need a bigger purpose to matter. You still matter. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. How about you? Do you have a character you'd like to spotlight? I do. She was only in it for a very tiny bit, but she had a big impact on me. Um, so I want to spotlight Suhaila. She wants to ask the question and Laszlo picks up on it and says, okay, ask the question. And her question isn't like, what's she like? Or why are you talking to this child? It's, does she hate us very much? Mm. And I really love that because it shows that she is worried about her own grandchild not loving her. She knows it's a horrible thing that was done. She knows that her son was the person who did this horrible thing. And also that it really did deliver them from this tyranny. Hmm. Like, Suhaila's a really brilliant and compassionate person that she can see this in all of its complexity. And also she gets right to the heart of it and, and wants to know what the situation is like in terms of, like, redemption, I think, or going forward. And I wish that Sarai could go into her dreams, too, and talk yeah. to her. That's something I would love. I just, I feel like they are two people who needed to meet. Um, yeah. I love a good mom in stories. Like, I love a good mom because they can be so magical. And for all the women out there who are like the surrogate moms for me when I needed them, hmm. like Suhaila is for Laszlo, withholding her own nervousness and fear and just trying to find the love in a situation and also being so caring and kind to him like this will help you sleep I know you're ready to go to sleep I know you're probably dying to go to sleep you know she's looking after him and caring for him and only when pressed does she kind of say like this is the other thing I'm worried about and it's not an imposition for him and I just love everything about that conversation and it, it's always stuck with me that her first question is not how could you to Laszlo but is instead does she hate us <sighs> yeah my heart my heart that's my character spotlight all right, well, next week we're going to be reading chapters 56 through 62 through the theme of mercy, and we're probably going to be crying our faces off. Yeah, <laughs> great, oh. something to look forward to. <laughs> Yay! Happy vacation time, Jen. You get to <laughs> weep copiously because I picked such a great and amazing and sad book. Well, it is an amazing, like, I just think the complexity that it has raised for me is just, it's been challenging and just amazing. So, yeah, thank you for picking the sad book. I am so glad you like it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for another great recording session. I am so glad we managed to make it work and that it's fitting in with holiday plans. And I'm really excited that you're at home with your parents. Give them both a big hug from me. I will do. I'll be like, what's this for? Yeah. This is from a marriage in. A marriage <laughs> solo. Having to explain what I'm doing here was quite a challenge. Let's just start with that. <laughs> 
I thought they might pop in, like, what's going on? You no, know? they've actually left the house. Um, I don't know oh, if wow. they've come back. They, yeah. <laughs> oh, parents are too cute. I'll see you next week. Yeah, looking forward to it and looking forward to oh. crying. Great. <laughs> oh, I know. Ugh. That's all right. We'll get through it. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.